Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, from the moment that you got up this morning, you've been making choices. Some of them would have been easy choices. Some of them would have been a little bit more complicated. Uh, some of the choices you would have made instinctively. Others, you probably had to stop and think about them. I mean, you got up, you decided, will I have a shower or not? Uh, will I read my Bible this morning? Uh, will I use deodorant? Will I have toast or cereal for breakfast? Does this top go with these pants? All of these big decisions that you've had to make. How did you go about making those choices? Do you think your Christian faith actually influenced any of those decisions? Now, with a lot of those things, I suppose we probably would say that they're just trivial things. But there are a lot of choices that we make in life that are big issues. Choices about education, choices about jobs and careers, choices about marriage, choices about buying a home, where it is that you're going to live. Choices about which church you should go to. We see many of those things as actually being big decisions, big choices. So how will being a Christian impact those decisions for you? See, you'd think that if you're serious about a relationship with God, then you'll want to make choices that are in line with your faith. And you'd also like to think that God would offer you some guidance or assistance in those decisions. Help us to go about making those choices. So over these next few Sundays, we're going to look at this topic of guidance and we're going to try and get an overview of what the Bible says about how it is that God guides. 
But to start with, we need to lay a bit of groundwork. And the first and the most obvious thing for us to have as our groundwork in understanding this discussion about, uh, about guidance is that God's the one who created everything. He didn't just create, he actually created for a purpose. And you see that really clearly from the very opening of the book of Genesis. Everything is just as God intended it to be. And God's purpose and plan was there right from the very beginning of creation. I don't know if you've ever done any pottery um, on these spinning wheel things. I've only done this a couple of times. And, and it's quite, as soon as you get to see the wheel and they give you a lump of clay, you think, you think big. You think you're going to make a big fruit bowl or maybe a vase or something like that. But a few spins in, the clay's kind of going all over the place and you decide that you're going to make an ashtray instead. I mean, you gave up smoking years ago, but it's got a lower centre of gravity, so there's probably a greater chance of being able to make that one. Well, can I say, that's not what happened with creation. When God created this world, he had a plan and a purpose. And central to that plan, central to God's purpose in creation, was for us, the people that he's made, to have a relationship with him, to know God. The Bible says that we are created in God's image. We are created to know God, not just know about God, but to know God personally. This is God's world. He is the one who made it. And that's such an important thing for us to remember, that there is a God who created all of this. This is what it says in the book of Isaiah. This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. And then when we turn to the book of Job, we see Job questioning God about his suffering, about what's going on in his life. And God doesn't directly give Job an answer to that issue. Instead, he says that he wants to ask Job a few questions. This is what the passage says in Job chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is it that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? I, I love that passage. When, when you understand it in the context, after Job's been firing all of these questions at God saying, why has all of this stuff happened to me? God says, well, before we get to your questions, Job... Let me just ask you a few questions that might clarify the issues for us, might help put things into perspective. See, what he says to Job and what it says the whole way through the Bible is that this world is God's world. He made it by his powerful hand and he made it for a purpose. 
That's what those Bible writers want to continually stress. See, it's arrogant for people to think that they can live in this creation, yet ignore the one who created us. It would be arrogant to think that you can live in this world without any reference to God. It would be arrogant to think that you can make decisions in your life without considering the God who made you, the God who gives you every breath that you take. When my kids were in high school, there was one thing that used to really annoy me at our house. I'd be out in the kitchen making a coffee or something, just standing in my kitchen, and then in would walk one of their friends. Don't even know this kid's name, but uh, they open the door of the fridge and they get something out to drink, and then they go to the pantry cupboard and they go there and they get something out to eat. And they do all of that without making any eye contact with me, without any words coming out of their mouth. No, hi, Mr. Tattersall, or hi, Jake's dad. And then they walk out of the kitchen. James says that there's a similar thing that can happen in the world that we live in. This is what we read in James chapter 4. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag and all such boasting is evil. See, the problem's not that they've opened the door of the fridge to get the milk. The problem's not that they've gone to the pantry cupboard. The problem's not that people are deciding to do business or making plans and decisions. The problem is that they're living in a world as though there is no God and acting as though there is no God. James is saying, don't go making your plans without reference to God. But we learn more. The God of the Bible is not just the one who made us, he is also the one who saved us. God's not like the lifesaver at the beach. I mean, when a lifesaver pulls someone out of the water and gets them up onto the sand and makes sure that they're okay and breathing all right, well, his job's done. And chances are he'll probably never get to know that person's name. More than likely, he'll never even see that person again. That's not how God saves us. God has saved us for a purpose. And the purpose that God has for us is exactly the same one that he had when he created the world. God's purpose in saving us is that we ought to live in a relationship with him. We have been saved to know God. We have been saved to be his people. And not just his possession, his people. People who know him and people that he knows. That's what Jesus says on the night before he goes to the cross. He knows that he has come to give people eternal life. He's come to save people that they can have eternal life. And this is what it says in John 17, chapter three, uh, chapter 17 verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. Do you see that? Eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus. Not knowing about God, but knowing God personally. So how then does God guide? Well, when we look at the Bible and see how God guides people, I think we'd have to say that there's a whole bunch of different ways that God guides people. So he spoke directly to Abraham. Uh, He talked to Moses from a burning bush. He guided Israel in the desert with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He guides people with visions and dreams. Uh, There's writing on the wall with detached hands. You read about that one in Daniel. And uh, talking donkeys uh, form part of God's process for informing people of the things that they ought to do or ought not to do. Uh, Angels and messengers appear pretty regularly. And the list could go on and on. So if the question is, how does God guide, then I think you'd have to say the answer is heaps of different ways. But if the question is, how should I expect that God will guide me? Well, should I go out and look for a donkey or a burning bush if I have a decision to make? Should I expect that God will send a pillar of cloud every time I've got to do a trip somewhere? Should I expect that every dream I have is God trying to tell me something? Should I expect that God will guide in that way? Well, I think the clear answer is no. You shouldn't be expecting that. That's not how God has promised he will guide. And that's not even what people in the Bible expected either. Moses doesn't keep going and looking for burning bushes every time he's got a decision he has to make. Daniel doesn't expect to have a vision or a dream every time there's a choice that needs to be made. But the Bible repeatedly says that we can rely on God's word, that God has revealed himself in the scriptures, in the Bible, and that that will be how he guides us. That's what it says all the way through the Bible. A famous verse that we all know, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's about guidance, isn't it? God's word will be the thing that shows me where to walk, how to walk. You want to live as God's people? Then you want God to help you with those choices and that's what it goes on to say. This is a little earlier on in that same Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden my word in your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a great big bit in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, it says that when a new king comes to the throne, his first task as king is to make sure that he has a copy. It says the law, but it means the first five books of the Old Testament, the history of Israel, how God brought them out of uh, their slavery in, in the book of Exodus, and, uh, and the law is contained in there as well. But he is to have his own copy of it. This is what it says. When he, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests who are the Levites. It is to be with him 
and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully the words of the law and these decrees. Want to know how to live and act if you're the king of God's people? Then read what God says in his word. Understand what God is like. And the same message is there when you reach Paul's letter to Timothy. He says this to Timothy, From infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Want to know how to live and act as people who know God? Then read your Bible. But it goes one step further than that. The way that God has most clearly revealed himself is in the person of Jesus. This is what the writer of Hebrews says, the very opening words of Hebrews, of the book of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has revealed himself in a bunch of different ways over a wide variety of times. But the clearest picture that we have of God is Jesus. I think it's safe to say that Jesus is God's final word. That's what God says at the transfiguration. As they're up on top of that hill, God's voice says, This is my son. Listen to him. Now, what I want to do with these guidance talks is I want to make sure that we actually get a bit practical and think about like some real life issues. So the example that I thought we'd choose today is let's think about buying a car. What guidance does God offer me on this topic? If I want to be serious about my Christian life, what car should I get? Should I get a red one or a white one? Should I get a manual or an automatic? Should I get a Fiat 500? Or should I get a Subaru WRX STI? Because I really like one of those. They go very fast. But then I thought about it and thought, if I had to pick the car that I would really like to get, I think it would probably be an Audi R8. I mean, sure, I'd have to save up for a little while. Deb would have to do a little bit more work. But now... Suffice it to say, you're not going to find the words Subaru or Audi in the Bible, although it is interesting because the word fiat actually means animal droppings in Hebrew. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. No, it doesn't actually. But the Bible does give me some pretty important advice about buying a car. The Bible says you're not to make yourself, you're not to measure yourself by your possessions like a car. We shouldn't be chasing after fleeting things in this world. We shouldn't be trying to store up treasures here on earth. We should be instead trying to store up treasures in heaven. We should be wise and godly in the way that we use our money. And then when it comes to driving my car, the Bible also has a lot to say, that I need to obey the law of the land, 
that I should have a concern for my neighbour, so that means that I need to make sure that my car is registered and roadworthy. I need to make sure that I have a driver's licence. I need to remember that when the sign says 60 kilometres an hour, that's the speed that I should travel. The Bible says that I should love my neighbour as myself, so that means that I need to be gracious and generous when I'm out driving. See, I don't think the problem is that the Bible doesn't give us any guidance on this topic. The problem is we often don't want to listen to the guidance that the Bible gives us on these topics. So how do you get your head around what the Bible has to say? How do you grow in your understanding of that? When Deb and I first got married, I was pretty hopeless at buying gifts. Uh, we got married in June and Deb's birthday came around in September and uh, I decided I was going to buy her a dress for her birthday. Sure, I look back on it now and realise how stupid that was, but I thought it seemed like a good idea at the time. It was a dress that I thought looked really good. So I gave it to Deb and uh, I knew that there was a problem when... Uh, just as she was unwrapping the present because her first words were, did you keep the receipt? And uh, so the problem was I really didn't know Debbie that well and I didn't know her taste. As time's gone on, I'd like to think that I've actually got better at purchasing gifts and I'm pretty good at it now. But I think the same thing can actually be true in our relationship with God. You want God's guidance? Then you need to get to know God better. If you're serious about wanting to live as a follower of Jesus, you need to get to know Jesus better. And you do that by looking at what God's word says. At the very least, you'd want to try and read your Bible regularly. And that's why we make looking at the Bible central to what we do here on a Sunday. That's why we think it's really great to be a part of a Bible study group because you can look more closely at what God's word says. In Psalm 19, David gives this great assessment of God's word. Let me paraphrase it for you. I'm just going to substitute uh, the word Bible. I think David probably would have been happy with this. I'll find out when I get to heaven. But this is what it says in Psalm 19. The Bible is perfect, reviving the soul. The Bible is trustworthy, making wise the simple. The Bible is right, giving joy to the heart. The Bible is radiant, giving light to the eyes. The words of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By it, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. If we're serious about living as God's people, if we want God to guide our decisions, then we need to be serious about listening to what God has to say. Serious about God's word. 